0: Coming up this evening on NTD Business. A new report says private equity firm Apollo might support Elon Musk in his bid to buy Twitter. Does that make Musk any more likely to succeed? If you're a student, Blackstone could be your next landlord. The investment firm will buy a major student housing developer. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. One of the key question marks over Elon Musk's Twitter bid is how he would finance the deal if it were accepted. Musk has offered about $40 billion for Twitter, but his net worth, according to Forbes, is over $250 billion. But most of that is tied up in Tesla stock. It's not cash. But Apollo Global Management, one of the world's biggest private equity firms, could be willing to front Musk the money. The news isn't confirmed. The Wall Street Journal first reported it, But we asked someone working at the company if it's true. They said Apollo recently launched a new fund and this type of deal would fit the bill. They said Apollo doesn't care about politics and would front the money if it made business sense. They said it would want a 6-12% to return, return on its investment every year. With us live to discuss is Jeff Carlson, Chartered Financial Analyst and the host of Truth Over News and Epoch TV. And unlike Apollo, Carlson does care about the politics. Jeff, great to see you. Thanks for coming on.
1: <laughs> Paul, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Jeff, what do you think? Would having a backer like Apollo help Musk's chances?
1: Uh, it absolutely would, although it's not entirely clear that Apollo is going to provide backing for Musk. Uh, certainly, I believe they're considering it. I think they may also be considering making their own bid away from Musk. Um, you know, and there's a lot of questions about the valuations here, because the price that, that Musk is offering uh, is at a substantial premium. Um, you know, there's been a lot of numbers thrown around, but bear in mind, before Musk actually started doing his buying, Twitter was trading in the low $30 per share, and Musk's offer is at $54.20. So, you know, that's, uh, realistically speaking, point to point, that's uh, in excess of a 60 percent premium bid, which is fairly substantial. But um, even still,
0: though, even still, he, he says he's not sure if he can buy Twitter. What are some of the barriers?
1: Well, $43 billion is an awful lot of money. I mean, uh, you know, there's a couple barriers. One is the fact is that the board has, is putting up hurdles. Uh, a board that, I might add, has basically no financial skin in the game, um, you know. but they've enacted a poison pill, a flip-in poison pill, as opposed to a flip-over, which means that the poison pill is enacted before the, the takeover is effectuated. And in Musk's, in Musk's case, it gets triggered at 15% ownership or above, um, which effectively would dilute his ownership. You know, then there's the financing for Musk. Musk, I think I just saw recently that he was going to be putting in somewhere between upping his stake and adding between 15 and $20 billion of his own cash. But again, we're talking about a $43 billion takeover, which I would argue is a a fairly full valuation if we're doing it on financial metrics. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, now he can borrow against his stock. There's plenty of ways he can come up with the financing. I, I, for me, I think it's more a matter of will. Does Elon really want to follow through on this? Because poison pill aside, financing roadblocks aside, a man of his wherewithal uh, will be able to do this if he really, really wants to. And yes, there can be some hurdles, but he would be able to come up with the financing, even if he had to borrow against some of his stock and his other companies to do it
0: of course musk has said for him it's not about the money right we talked a little offline we want to get into the free speech aspect one thing that caught my attention today i'm not sure if you saw it but a top venture capitalist mark andreessen tweeted out that censorship and deplatforming could spread to all aspects of the legacy internet stack including payment networks browsers even email platforms with only rare exceptions he says the pressure is intense musk replied he said extremely concerning Who is pushing this censorship and deplatforming? very shadowy? Any thoughts on those tweets?
1: Well, you know, I think we are seeing a very real battle here. And that's one of the things that I wrote about in a recent article was that it's really kind of sad that we've come to a point where we need somebody who's effectively a rogue billionaire, if you will, to step into the fray and be willing to really kind of pick up arms over free speech. Uh, it's, it's a shame that it's come to the point where it takes a, a billionaire, the world's richest man, acting very much as an outlier against all the other corporate media billionaires to effectuate this. Uh, but that is where we are today. And yes, I absolutely saw the Mark Andreessen tweet. Um, it, to me, it seems that, that Elon is, is actually very truly concerned about where we are. And you know where we lie in free speech, and that this is something that's just hugely important to our republic. I, I personally believe it to be so. I think what we're watching is one of the most important potential developments. But as I said, I also think it's very sad that we're dependent on the ability um, and the willingness of a single billionaire to to sort of reinstate free speech in our country.
0: Jeff Carlson, appreciate the thoughts. We'll have you back again soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks for having me. On Wall Street today, stocks rallied. The Dow rose 500 points, one and a half percent. The S&P gained 71 points, one and six tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq added 287 points, two and two tenths of a percent. Oil prices fell five percent today after the IMF predicted the global economy is going to grow slower than expected, citing the war in inflation, a war in Ukraine, and high inflation. More on that later in the show. We also saw more home construction beginning last month, a little more than February, and considerably more than last March. Maybe labor and material shortages subsiding. Fewer single-family homes were built, but multifamily housing was what really pushed the numbers up. Permits for buildings with five or more units rose 11% from the previous month. That's 34% more than March of last year. It's all happening as mortgage rates are rising, which puts builders in a difficult situation. Rising rates themselves logically should reduce demand, but demand seems to be pretty high during the pandemic, so rising rates may not discourage them. But renters are losing their confidence they'll ever own a home. A survey from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York says that the expectation of owning a home at some point in the future dropped to 43% this year. That's the lowest level since the Fed began asking the question in 2015. Only about a third of the people surveyed with less than a bachelor's degree or who make less than $60,000 expect to own a home ever. That's down more than 10% from the past two years. 22% of households in the survey reported they planned to buy a home in the past, but now renting has a better financial option. Meanwhile, some people who have hoped to buy have been priced out of the market, forcing them to rent instead, and in turn has driven up rental rates. And a major institutional investor, Blackstone, has agreed to buy America's largest publicly traded student housing developer. In other words, for many students, Blackstone is your new landlord. Anthony's Khan Fredrickson tells us what that means.
2: Blackstone, a massive institutional investor, has agreed to buy America's biggest publicly traded student housing developer, American Campus Communities, Inc., for $12.8 billion. American Campus Communities, also called ACC, owns 166 properties and over 100,000 beds across the country.
3: Each university is its own microeconomy, And so even though they're buying $13 billion and it's, you know, across the country, they don't really have a monopoly at any university per se.
2: Patrick Nelson is the CEO of Nelson Partners Student Housing, which develops and manages properties across the U.S. Nelson says there are many options when it comes to college housing.
3: ACC really focus on building a, more of a luxury product. And uh, with that, I wouldn't say they have a monopoly because there's just, there's just too many universities and too many um, different housing
2: options. Despite the pandemic, students were still paying the rent, and there's been little student housing construction, which means there's less competition.
3: It is finally showing up on the radars of these companies that have almost exhausted the supply of other assets.
2: Robert Helms is a host of the Real Estate Guys radio show. Helms says rent prices could be a problem in general real estate if institutional investors own too much. If we see a
3: move towards the mid and low end, and it could definitely be concerning. There was certainly concern that when the big institutions came in, that that whole mom-and-pop landlord feel would kind of go away. And to a degree, we've seen that.
2: Blackstone's head of real estate for the Americas says student housing is a compelling sector because it's performed through cycles and has been really quite resilient over time. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: And Verizon said Monday it's raising its minimum wage for U.S. employees to $20 an hour. to meet a tight labor market and rising inflation. As for new and existing workers in customer service, retail and inside sales. In fact, in recent months, Walmart, Walgreens and Chipotle raised hourly wages for employees to lure more people back to work, it seems. Verizon also said it would offer a sign-on bonus for a retail specialist and assistant manager's position in some U.S. regions. Verizon's chief operating officer said the changes are a result of employee feedback and will help it remain an attractive employer in this competitive environment. Inflation's a big problem in Argentina. Now, the government wants to help the country's poorest cope with soaring prices by setting up a financial aid program. It's not a done deal yet. Argentina's Congress still needs to approve it. But it plans to fund it by taxing businesses that saw unexpected gains from the Ukraine war. Think grain exports. Workers would get about $160 each. Retired people would get around 100. The government didn't say how much the total program would cost. No details on the tax rate either. Last week, Argentina said monthly inflation for March was at the highest level in two decades. Annual inflation was up a whopping 55%. Fergus Hodgson is director of Econ Americas, an economic intelligence firm focusing on Latin America.
4: Basically, says that the Argentine government is willing to interfere or intervene at a granular level, and it's very small details on an ongoing basis. So the level of central planning is enormous, and even down to transferring very small amounts of money, really, only about $100 per person or per recipient, which has no, actual, like I said, long-term positive impact but it does tell people that you, you have to be prepared for a great deal of an intervention from the central government.
0: How is the state of the Argentine economy at the moment?
4: Well, there is some good news that the truth is that the people, like I said, they've learned to get around all sorts of impediments for a long time. And in fact, if you look this up, Argentina is a, the world's top producer of soy and I think second producer of corn. So there's a, there's a great deal of productivity there. And people maybe forget that Argentina was a first world nation, again, decades ago. But there still is a great deal of agriculture produced there. And so there's, there's no, it's not like it's just a, a completely undeveloped country. There is, a, there is a plenty of economic activity going on there. It's just that they are restrained
0: by a protectionist government. Do you feel these producers and exporters are happy to absorb these extra taxes for the good of the country?
4: <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh about that, but not at all because they've been taking heat for a long time. And so now it, it, it really is sad when you're a businessman and finally when you get to make some money, someone just comes and takes the cream off
0: the top. You think this is standard practice in Argentina?
4: The problem is that it's very arbitrary, right? It's hard to predict which particular producers or industries will be targeted depending on the political ebbs and flows, right? Who's in power? And so right now we have the Kushneristas, or we have, let's say, the left-wing or Peronista faction. But before, just a few years ago, we had Mauricio Macri, and he would, you know, he would intervene, but in different ways, right? So often it is arbitrary. And for example, the way that they have gone to give $100, I mean, who, what, what significance does that amount have? It wouldn't even pay someone's rent. So I don't I don't know why they chose that number. It just seems to be, like I said, very arbitrary and hard to
0: predict. Fergus Hodgson, Econ Americas, appreciate it, thank you. Thank you. And the International Monetary Fund Tuesday slashed its forecast for global economic growth by nearly a full percentage point. It says inflation is now a, quote, clear and present danger for many countries IMF said in its latest World Economic Outlook that the war in Ukraine is expected to increase inflation even more. It also said China's COVID-19 lockdowns could also be a risk for inflation. It now projects global growth of 3.6% in both 2022 and 2023. This is a drop of 0.8 and 0.2 percentage point respectively from its January forecast. And China's zero COVID policy is the reason why Shanghai is currently under strict lockdown seems to have severely impacted the Chinese economy, too. Factories and businesses are closed, consumers are confined at home, ports and the supply chain are disrupted. The head of China's National Health Commission released a statement Monday. He says China will firmly oppose what it calls the, quote, wrongful thinking of coexisting with the virus. Indeed, Don Ma helps us get to the bottom of why China is sticking with a policy that's so damaging to the
5: economy. The head of China's National Health Commission said, quote, consolidate the hard-won pandemic prevention results and take practical action to welcome the 20th Party Congress. The interesting thing about this statement was that he associated the zero-COVID policy with an important upcoming CCP meeting. The 20th Party Congress is the meeting at which Xi Jinping will seek a third term. So why is the zero-COVID policy associated with this meeting? Could this policy be motivated by politics rather than the well-being of the Chinese people? I talked with an experienced China expert for some answers. He says whether the zero COVID policy is successful directly impacts whether Xi Jinping will get a third term. <laughs> He
6: regards successful pandemic prevention through the zero-COVID strategy as one of the three major political achievements. He won't allow another strategy to take the zero-COVID strategy's place. If that happened, it will be equivalent to Xi Jinping announcing that he has made a serious mistake in pandemic prevention. This would become a major obstacle for him to getting a third term.
5: The lockdowns as a result of the zero-COVID policy have impacted China's economy. Factories are shut down. Retail sales declined in March compared to last year. People are confined to their homes. They can't buy groceries. They're starving. Some have even taken their own lives because the lockdown is too much for them to bear. Why is Xi Jinping sticking to the zero COVID policy when it's hurting the Chinese economy and the Chinese people? Tang says she will disregard any cost as long as he can maintain power.
6: CCP officials have always had this kind of thinking. The CCP will try to achieve its political goals or maintain its power at any cost, because if it loses its power, it can never get it back. If the economy is ruined, they can always try to slowly recover it in the future. Even if people's lives and health are impacted, it's not important.
5: Tang thinks China will stick to the zero-COVID policy until the CCP's 20th Party Congress is over, which is in November this year. Don Ma, NTD News.
0: And still to come, stay with us. The Secret Service is cracking down on crypto fraud, tracking down and seizing illicit crypto assets. And Congress wants to make new rules for 401k retirement plans, find out how the big changes would impact employers and you, the worker. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Crypto criminals are in the spotlight more and more as digital currencies become more popular. The U.S. Secret Service has seized more than $100 million worth of cryptocurrency through fraud-related investigations. Although it's more famous for protecting the president and political figures, Secret Service has also been investigating financial crimes since 1865. It's suppressing criminal digital currency transactions in similar ways to old-fashioned surveillance. By tracking an email address or wallet address through the blockchain, the seizure of the crypto assets occurred in 254 cases since 2015, That's according to statistics compiled by the agency. And Bitcoin transaction fees have been much easier to deal with lately. They just reached a two-year low in price. If they Marshall it takes a look at what it means.
3: Bitcoin's average transaction fees reached their lowest in two years over the weekend at $1.04. They saw a steady decline from the all-time high of nearly $63 in April 2021, which then came down to an eight-month average of $2 in July 2021. I asked investment expert Robert Ross of TickStocks, who might benefit from low transaction fees?
4: Well, there's a chapter in my book uh, talking about how one of the big major use cases for Bitcoin is just transferring money... Uh, across international borders. I don't know if you've ever had to you know send uh, you know $100 dollars to someone in Europe or in the Middle East.
3: This lowered price can be a sign of supply and demand as well as there being more miners competing. I also asked Ross, who could be negatively affected by low
4: fees. I'm sure it does affect miners because they are the ones who are profit profiting off these uh, transaction fees. But they better get ready for them to go lower because we're going to have another Bitcoin halving here in about two years, uh, which is going to cut the supply count once again, which will actually be very good for Bitcoin's price um, and likely their transaction fees as well.
3: Higher interest rates have caused high volume traders to lower transaction volume lately. Although 99% of all Bitcoin volume comes from transactions of over $100,000, the lower fees come at a good time for lower volume traders. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: And it may take the post office a little longer to deliver your small packages. Monday, the United States Postal Service announced it's updating its first-class ca- delivery standards. But the service isn't getting any faster. Instead, the USPS will add one to two days onto the delivery of nearly a third of its first-class small packages. Postal Service says the additional days will allow them to have more time to deliver long distance and to increase the efficiency of their network. However, a small percentage of customers, about 4%, may see their packages be delivered a day earlier. The Postal Service also plans to change its priority mail delivery, but this time it's dropping the additional day it added back in 2020. This likely faster service will only be for mail delivered over its ground network. The new changes take effect May 1st. And Congress is taking additional action to help avoid a potential retirement crisis. A bill expected to reach President Biden's desk later this year could bring about new rules involving 401K programs. Here's a look at how those changes could impact your retirement savings. Here we are.
7: Your retirement savings may be about to face a major and inevitable change.
2: Part of this overhaul is to actually force people into saving in their 401K plan.
7: The legislation, Secure Act 2.0, is expected to reach President Joe Biden's desk by the end of the year. If passed and signed, it could require most employer-sponsored retirement plans to enroll eligible workers automatically at a 3% level. That would increase by 1% until you're contributing 10% of your paycheck annually. But workers would have the option to opt out or change their contribution level.
2: Most people do not understand something called the pay yourself first rule. And that means put money in your retirement plan before you start spending money on things like entertainment and travel.
7: The plan would also delay mandatory withdrawals and limit penalties for those who fail to withdraw on time. The proposed act could also make it easier for those with student loans to save and for older workers to make catch up contributions. It's also a major change for part-time workers who would be able to contribute to 401k plans for the first time. With pension plans nearly extinct and the Social Security Trust Fund facing a 75-year deficit, experts say 401k plans are more critical than ever.
2: The three-legged stool of retirement has basically turned into a pogo stick and it's going to be on your back and your responsibility to save money.
0: And a resourceful Indian inventor has built a scooter, but not just any scooter. It's what allows him to scale trees and harvest nuts. And Andrew Thomas has the details.
8: Ganapathi Bot puts on a harness, getting ready to harvest beetle nuts at the top of a towering palm tree. Within five seconds, he's climbed the 65-foot tall tree all with the help of the self-made device that he calls a tree scooter.
2: In our area, there's a shortage of laborers. The labor cost is also very high. I invented this betel nut tree climbing machine in order to overcome this problem, as we need to harvest on time, because it gets difficult during the rainy season. It's helpful in plucking the nuts, as well as in spraying fertilizer on the branches of the betel nut trees.
8: Consisting of a small German chainsaw motor, a rudimentary seat, and a set of wheels, the scooter helps bot to regularly scale beetle palms, to harvest beetle nuts, also commonly called areca nuts in India.
2: Initially, when I wanted to invent the scooter, my family members were worried about my safety. I have to climb tall trees, and I fell when testing the scooter, taking huge risks. My children asked me to be careful. Even villagers asked me if I was crazy. They had doubts about my invention, like whether it would work or not, and whether it would work in the rainy season because the trees would be slippery.
8: The inventor said he has so far sold more than 300 of the tree scooters. They cost about $820 each. And other farmers are keen to use the scooter to increase their productivity. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And that's the latest from the Entity Business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.